we just finished up a conversation with Coach Lane Lee, who's a performance coach who specializes in tumbling and is also the host of the Fear Less You podcast. And uh, I have to say, that was a lot of fun talking to, to Coach Lane. And um, yeah, just a lot of really good things that he was uh, sharing with us as far as fear and confidence and how that affects athletes and how it affects just people in general. And uh, really went in depth about the idea of fear and being fearless and uh, why that can be an issue sometimes or why it's an illusion. And just uh, he's going he's gonna to say it a lot more eloquently than I'm trying to recap it right now. But it was a really fun episode. And um, although he specializes in tumbling, uh, this knowledge that he's dropping in this episode really applies to any sport and not even just sports, but just any person. So if you're a parent, if you're a coach, if you're an athlete, this, you're going to find something on this podcast that I believe really applies to you. And I think you'll get a lot out of this. Um, yeah, just an incredible guest. And we're hoping to have him back on at some point because I think there were so many other questions that I wanted to ask or things that he said that caused me to think about other questions that I, I could have asked, but we just didn't want to uh, keep him hostage for forever. So uh, anyways, I'm going to shut up so you can listen to this awesome episode featuring Coach Lane Lee. See ya. Now it is time. Now it is time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Character Combine. Character Combine. Yeah, you ready? Yeah, you ready? When he goes beyond the scoreboard, the scoreboard. Coaches, coaches, I want you to have the type of voice, type of voice that your athletes will hear decades later and still recognize the leadership that you hold in their life, in their life, in their life. Get this thing, get this thing started. Welcome to the Character Combine Podcast. I'm Josh Takimoto, and Deb is not with us again, but that's okay because we have an awesome guest lined up for you. He is a tumbling and performance coach and also the host of the Fearless You Podcast, Coach Lee, Lane Lee. Dang it, man, I told you I was going to mess up your name, and there I went. <laughs> coach Lane Lee. What's going on, man? Hey, man. Thanks for having me, Josh. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, ex I'm excited to have you on here. We've, we first kind of became aware of what you're doing. Uh, because our common friend uh, and uh, one of the favorite speakers of all time at Character Common, Kevin Bracey, was on your show. KB. What, was it one of your last shows before COVID and everything? It was. It was uh, actually one, the first one I did right when Shelter in Place started. So. Oh, see, there we go. Yeah, yeah. We, we love Kevin over here. And uh, he's been a yeah, part man, of what we've done guy. for a long time. So it was cool to see you guys connect. And then we started Thank you. seeing, you know, following you on Instagram and seeing what you were doing. It's like, oh, this is pretty cool. Um, so yeah, we're just, man, we're just thankful to have you on the show and we're looking forward to a good conversation. Same here. I love this stuff. Let's get it. Let's do it. All right. So we, we start off every guest with some warm up questions. Uh, okay. this is the, this is the hard hitting stuff that's going to really make you think. So all right, let's get it. Question number one, if you could swap lives with someone for a week, who would it be? Anybody you want? Mm, anybody that I want. Um, I'm trying to not go too cliche, but, um, I'm trying to think of people that I, throughout history that I respect. Um, and this could be living or dead, right? Absolutely. Okay. Um, I would either it, for me, it'd be a toss up between, uh, Barack Obama and, oh, nice. uh, man, I, I, I don't want to do two presidents. Um, but honestly, okay, I'll go, I'll go actor on the second one. Let's go Barack Obama or Matt Damon. Why not? Just for the oh, fun, because I've born. Jason just, Bourne. Jason Bourne, man. Like, who wouldn't want to be Jason Bourne for a day? Hey. No, but I, I, I love Matt Damon as an actor. So I think, uh, yeah, that would be, those would be my two answers. Gosh, I hope that doesn't seem so. No, that's, that's, no, 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 no. I don't want to disrespect any guests that we've had on the show, but we've had a couple of people, people say The Rock. So you're, you're good. Yeah, man. right. Yeah, okay, yeah. good. Okay, yeah. I'm along those lines. Along those lines. So those are great answers. Uh, and for two, I'm sure, two very different reasons. Uh, very different reasons. Yeah. Very different personalities and, and life experiences. Right. But, uh, but people that I respect that are in the public eye. So yeah. yeah. Love it. Cool. Number two, what is the strangest gift you've ever received? Oh my God. I know this one right off the bat. Oh, strangest <laughs> gift I that's, have that's ever received <laughs> <laughs> was, uh, was a game of Mancala from okay. an ex-girlfriend of mine uh and when i received it was for my birthday and okay. it was a combination birthday gift between mancala and going to play uh putt putt 
miniature golf at Scandia. You you know you, yeah, you're sure. from the the you know Northern yeah. California, so you know what Scandia is. Yep. And um, it was just strange because it clearly communicated that we were on different pages, and she did not know me at all. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, I just I just remember having to fight that I had to put on my best acting face yeah, on yeah, that yeah. day. So. <laughs> Yeah, that is a tough one. Um, yeah, there's not much to say about that. That is a tough. <laughs> there, there is, yeah, there. Imagine being me in that moment. There wasn't much to say, and it was a. It. It. it there. Yeah, it was interesting. It That's was a surprise too. So that was. Yeah, even harder to sell. Was it like? Was it because I mean I I've enjoyed playing Mancala um, before in the past. Was it like a a nice set or was it just something that you got from like Target? You know what I'm saying? Because it could be like a handcrafted. Beautiful no, it set. wasn't along those lines. And it wasn't even the Dang fact it. that it was Mancala. It was, yeah. you know, like the quality of the game wasn't the yeah. issue. Yeah. It was that uh, it was just like, I've never really been a board game person. There you go. And so it was like, it was one of those things where I was like at her house one day and her family was playing and I was just like being nice and playing along. <laughs> and okay. all of a sudden it was like deemed my favorite game ever. I've and so I was... Before. Yeah, so I was yeah. just like, "Oh, thank you." You know, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, no, I, have, I definitely have some stories that I can't. I, I won't share on this podcast, but <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> along the same lines. Or you, you know, you say one thing and then it sticks. It's like, well, uh, this, I guess that's, that's who I am now. That's a bummer. <laughs> yeah, right. You're right. Exactly. Exactly. Me, I know we don't want to uh, uh, dwell too much on this, but at what point of the relationship was this? Was it pretty oh, deep into this- it? This this was well. It only lasted about a year, so this was maybe like yeah. This was pretty deep into it. It was about like month ten. Okay. And uh, and you know and and I don't want to downplay. Please, nobody you know think that I don't appreciate the effort. I do appreciate the effort. There you and go. It just like I said, it just it just showed that we were on different pages at that point. And I think that that like self realization is very important for any relationship. When you know whether it's romantic, business, a partnership friendship, whatever it is. Um, I think that it's important to pay attention to those moments and sure. realize, okay, clearly there has been a miscommunication. Let's either try to work this out and talk about it, or let's go ahead and just move on. And, you know, change is the only thing that's constant in life. So there's nothing wrong with moving on. There you go. So that's why we had you on this podcast, man. Cause I feel like that advice you gave right there was both for someone uh, pursuing athletic endeavors and someone who may be pursuing a- uh, romantic endeavors. So there you go. A, a two-edged sword. <laughs> I like it. There you go. <laughs> cool. So question number three, and this is the, the, so, uh, this is the question that Deb considers her, her uh, signature question for all guests. And it kind of trips some people Ooh. up, but I, I feel okay. like you might, you might be ready for this one. I just, I'm getting all that right. sense. So, all right. If you're thinking about songs that are currently in existence and currently out there right now, what mm-hmm. song do you think would either define your life as a whole or maybe the, the specific moment or the feel that you're having right now? That's a great question. Um, defining my life as a whole is very difficult. And I think anybody would probably say that just because uh, the way that we relate to music is through emotion. So it sure. definitely has those poignant parts of our lives that we relate to different songs or different styles of music. I will say the one song in recent years that has really helped uh, to define my mission is uh, Big Sean's Voices in My Head slash Stick to the Plan. Ah, nice. And the the whole that whole second half of that song, um, Stick to the Plan, really helped me moving forward with my coaching business and uh, my mottos that I came up with um, because it helped me to choose a focus and then stick to that focus. When I, you know, I'm a very creative person. I come from a graphic design background, filmmaking background. So when ideas come to me, they usually take over for a certain amount of time. And if I'm working on something at that moment, um, it's very important. And especially if it's part of the main plan, it's very important to not get sidetracked. So um, even in those moments when I feel like um, I'm forgetting what the purpose was, or if I'm, you know, forgetting what my focus is supposed to be, I pop that on and, you know, just kind of get that, that motivation back. Um, And, uh, and then second to that would probably be um, destiny by NF. And um, there's just, there's just one line in that song. That whole song is dope, but there's one line in the song 
that again has helped really define my mission and focus where he says we may be in the same genre, but we don't put out the same product. And remembering that as someone who is in an industry that is just inundated with coaches and people who do what I do, mm-hmm. um, I have to remember that it's, it's how I do what I do that matters at the end of the day. And for any coach, that's what matters is how you do it, um, how you do it differently, how you do it um, uniquely. So yeah, that'd be my answer. My long winded answer to a very short question. <laughs> no, no, that's good. Hey, we, we, that's always a tough question. So we appreciate when, when someone has a, uh, such a thoughtful, uh, a thoughtful response to it. And that's, that's, I really like that last line that you said too, because I think that's important uh, for coaches to understand, right? Like, you know, I think you can read a book by John Wooden. You can read a book about all of these different coaches and try to mimic exactly what they do, but you're probably not going to get the same results because that's not right. Like you said, that's not who you are. You're a different product. And so in the, in right. the same genre, was it, what was that line again? We may be in the same genre, but we, I can guarantee we don't put out the same product. There we go. There we go. Yeah. I love that. That's it. Yeah, it was, it just, it was one of those lines that came quick and, and I caught it and I was like, Ooh, yeah, that yeah. Is, that's facts right there. That that's is good. truth. You know? So I like that. Yeah. Cool, man. Hey, well you survived the warm up questions. So the rest of this will be easy. Easy. I'm ready. Stuff. This is, uh, this is if, if the rest is a cakewalk, then yeah, we're good. Absolutely. That's what we tell everybody. So, <laughs> so hey, man, we like to start off everybody with the same exact question. Uh, what is your athletic and coaching background? And I'm actually really interested. I'm always interested in hearing people's background. But as I mentioned yeah. before, this is the first time we've ever had um, a tumbling coach on the show. So awesome. I'm really interested in hearing what you have to say. Yeah. Well, I, um, I've always just been interested in, in you know, tumbling as a kid, like most eighties, nineties kids, I wanted to be a power ranger or a teenage mutant ninja turtle. So I, I just, I knew I was going to be a ninja in some way someday. And, uh, yeah, but I started officially cheerleading as a freshman in high school when, uh, I was just messing around after school with, with those couple buddies of mine, uh, who were what we call backyard tumblers themselves okay. and they are self-taught. And so they were just kind of showing me a couple of things here and there really into Jackie Chan back then. So of course I was doing as many things as I could see yeah. on screen. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the cheerleaders saw us messing around tumbling. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, when the girls asked us to join the cheer squad, we said yes, without even hesitating. <laughs> sure. And, uh, but then as soon as I got into it, I really fell in love with the athleticism of, of cheerleading. Um, you know, it, it, we are some of the strongest, um, best endured, um, and most coordinated athletes that are out there. And that was something I couldn't appreciate. And I, and that's why I don't get really, really upset with people when they say cheerleading is not a sport or, hmm. you know, you're not athletes because you really don't appreciate it until you, um, are involved with it hmm. and really start, um, seeing just how involved and how, um, how athletic you have to be to, you know, be successful as a, as a cheerleader. Um, and then my coaching, so I, I did high school cheer and then I moved on to my family actually opened up an all-star gym. And so, and so the difference between high school and all-star is all-star is not affiliated with any other program. They are a standalone, um, program. And so it's a for-profit standalone program. And so, um, you know, you have kids from all over the county and the district that can join and be a part of that program. And it's really cool um, for that reason that you get that diversity, you know, um, in your neighborhood and in your community. Um, You know, All-Star comes with its own flaws in in that it is hyper competitive. And so a lot of uh, technique and safety kind of gets pushed aside just for the sake of outperforming your competitors. Um, but anywho, I I see one question about that. Sorry, not, I don't mean to interrupt, but so what, what would that, what would that entail when you say that they might forego safety just to get ahead? Like, what would be an example of that? An example of that is when you are pushing your athletes too fast, too soon to get tumbling skills or to get certain skills that, you know, maybe you're skipping some of the foundational stuff just to get them to a point because at the end of the day, you, you are a for-profit business and you are in the business of competition and show and uh, competing and showcasing, you know, and, and to get more heads in your gym, you want to be churning out those first place trophies and, and performances. So, you know, it's just kind of a, a unfortunate byproduct of sure. the industry. 
Um, but anywho, I probably shouldn't have started with that when I was talking about my own coach, all-star coaching experience. But um, no, we, our, our gym was, uh, it was a faith-based gym. And so we were, uh, we, 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 I believe that my coaching career began there in more ways than one because uh, it was uh, founded on character and then focused on character. Got you it. Know? So we didn't want to just raise um, amazing athletes. We wanted to help create good human beings great human beings and um so yeah that's that's where i started coaching when i was uh like right after my senior year in high school and then i continued that for almost another um eight years i believe okay and yeah seven eight years and then i i the story always goes that i took a break but i really didn't because my sister uh is an amazing uh all-star cheerleader and she was a part of two other programs after ours. And so I would, you know, of course, being her big brother, I would drive her to practices and then somehow get involved with their practices. And, yeah, and that's, how um, that's how it goes. You know, you never, yeah. every time you think you're out, they, they pull you back in. Yeah. And um, during that time where I thought I was taking a break, I was uh, pursuing a career as a freelance graphic designer and uh found myself spending 14 hours a day 14 to 16 hours a day on the computer which was looking back on it it was just grueling it was it was torture it was not being a good steward of my body um it was not good for my health at all and i remember sitting here 2013 um in the same apartment we were i was sitting by my window where my desk was set up and i just remember like it was one of those still summer days middle of the day you know, like if I had been in the suburbs, it would have been one of those days where you hear somebody mowing the lawn, you know, ah. one of those ideal summer days, yeah. birds chirping. It was just such a beautiful day. And I remember sitting there and I was like, I have no purpose to go outside right now. And I just hated that thought. Like I was just sitting at my computer and, and I started thinking about uh, coaching because I live right here next to a, a high school. And I had seen earlier that week, I had seen the cheerleaders practicing. And I was like, you know, there's, I think there's something that can be done about this. Like, I don't want to just be sitting here. And so that's when coach lane was born as a performance coaching brand. And I promised myself when I started that, I said, I, if I'm going to get back into this industry, having the experience that I have, I don't want to do it on anyone else's terms, but my own. Hmm. So I want to make sure that I'm stepping back into this with a purpose and with a plan and um, that I am very intentional about who I work with and how I work with them. And um, so, yeah, so that's how coach lane LLC was started as a performance coaching brand. And um, my focus when I started was uh, I came up with the slogan technique bridges the gap between confidence and skill. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to go back. I was hearing a lot of stories from my sister circles, from other coaches that I had known in the past. There's a lot of kids getting hurt and a lot of kids developing what our industry likes to overuse uh, uh, the term mental blocks. Mm-hmm. And I said, there's got to be a solution. So that was kind of my, my, my goal was to um, in, empower athletes with confidence through technique and then help them to be able to outperform uh, mental blocks and try to understand what mental blocks were better. So yeah, that's basically it. That's great. That's funny. Cause I actually, that's, I have that written down cause I was kind of just scrolling through your website and I did, right. I had that as one of my, one of my questions as far as the technique bridging the gap between confidence and skill. Is right. that, is that basically because if you are really solid in your technique, then it's one less thing that you have to think about. Is that kind of where that comes from? Or you want to explain that a little bit more? Sure. The way I, I, um, the way I broke it down was that uh, you have confidence and you have skill. And there has to be something that connects the two because confidence itself is a skill. I'm, I'm, I subscribe to the Mel Robbins definition of confidence, that we are not born confident. That confidence comes from repetition practice and understanding and um there you have people who um can be very confident in moving their bodies but they may not be confident in performing a skill a certain way and that's those are those natural athletes people that are just naturally gifted and in tune with moving their bodies but when it comes to performing a specific skill those are the very same people that are going to get down on themselves really quickly because as a natural performer as a natural mover 
when you have a specific skill that has a specific technique behind it or a specific process, they're just going off of what they've seen and trying to replicate that. That's the natural way that humans, you know, reproduce movement. We see something and then we try to do it, not seeing all of the micro skills that go into it. So you end up having a very naturally gifted person becoming very um, unconfident in their movement. And so for me, it was seeing a lot of those athletes and saying, you know, there has to be something that's connecting these two. You are more confident as a person um, in your skill when you have that technique. Hmm. So uh, that, that's kind of where the breakdown came uh, to mind because, and I also knew that with the lack of confidence, you weren't going to be, um, you're less mindful or I don't want to say you're less aware, but with less confidence, you are um, uh, less likely to execute and perform your skills safely. Um, sure. because your brain is in so many different, you know, places at that moment and you have to be in a very present place. It doesn't matter if you're a tumbler, if you're a football player, if you're a basketball player, whatever you're doing, if you're not mindful in that moment, um, and during your training, then you're not properly teaching your body how to react when things go wrong. And so, uh, yeah, so confidence definitely had to be up in order to connect your, you know, to your skill uh, when performing your skill. And I personally believe you do that as an athlete, not just a cheer athlete or a tumbler, but as an athlete, you do that through technique. Got it. So does confidence, is it possible to be confident, maybe say confident on the field, but not confident uh, off the field? Or do you think those two things play a role together? I know. I think that that's, very possible. You can yeah. be very confident. For instance, I am very confident right now in sure. this moment because this is something I practice all the time. Right. Um, you know, I obsess over trying to understand um, the the mind of the athlete and trying to understand fear and trying to understand mental blocks or uh, what I call performance anxieties. So um, I'm very confident right now, but there are other areas in my life where I am not this confident, you know, mm-hmm. and then um, I was actually just researching it. There are two main types of, of confidence. There's natural confidence and there's manufactured confidence. Natural confidence is actually, uh, it's not what we think it to be. And this is why in coaching, I believe that rhetoric is very, very important. You have to be very mindful of the words you're using and how you're using them because our language is so lazy and there are so many different ways. English is such a messed up language. Yeah. Like there are so many different ways of, of trying to convey the same idea. Sure. And we use words as synonyms when they're not meant to be word, like meant, meant to be used as synonyms, you know? So natural confidence is actually uh, the confidence that is, um, uh, that comes from your environment that comes from like being at home or being on a team where other people are investing, uh, you know, confidence building strategies into your upbringing. So, you know, words of encouragement, um, you know, uh, positive reinforcement, all that stuff. Natural confidence comes from those environments. Mm -hmm. Manufactured confidence is more of what we do as athletes. When we repetitiously go through a movement, we are uh, manufacturing our own confidence by going through and practicing over and over and over. So I, I think that in our, our daily rhetoric, we, manufactured confidence is actually what we mistake as natural confidence. Sure. So, uh, but it's really interesting. I think it's very important to make those distinctions um, just so you understand, like, because a lot of people get caught up. They'll say, well, I'm very confident on the field. I don't know why I just had some jock voice to come out there. I'm very confident <laughs> on the field, but you know, when hey, I, I, was when with I it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know, when you, when you go into another area of your life, you think there's something wrong with you instead of compartmentalizing your confidence and saying, okay, this is, if I want to be confident in this area of my life, I need to treat it like my on field or on court, uh, experiences where I just need to understand the process and practice that. One of the things I love to say about tumbling is that these skills are designed to happen. Uh, they're designed for success. They're designed to happen a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I would argue the same is true for every other sport. There is a certain way to swing a bat, Right to connect with the ball and get a home run every time. There's a certain way to pitch. There's a certain way to shoot a three. Like there are, there are methodologies to all of these movements. And going back to what I said earlier, the problem with humans is that we're very monkey see monkey do. So we're like, we see something we're like, Oh, I can do that. Instead of saying, Oh, let me make sure that I understand all of the micro movements and micro skills 
that are built into uh, the composite parts that are built into making up that skill and, and making it successful. Interesting. Well, I have a, a question, um, I think kind of along the same lines between, I guess maybe it's a combination of confidence and then also uh, one of the topics that you talk about a lot, which is fear. Yeah. I've heard somebody before talk about, sometimes you have these athletes and obviously we're character combine podcast. So we have a big focus on honor, character, integrity. So For a sure. lot of times when I see something, you know, come up on the ESPN ticker and it's a, it's not an on-field issue. It's an off-field issue that kind of draw gets our attention, right? Because of what we do here. Um, Very interesting. And I've heard that from some people, they feel like some of these elite athletes, and I, I won't say specific names, but we can all think of these different athletes who are incredible athletes, maybe the, the best in their field, but they yeah. also live a life off the field that one would probably call reckless or mm. whether it's, whether it's drugs or some kind of substance abuse or just living a wild life. And some people have made the case that the, the way they live off the field and that reckless mentality where there's just like a fearlessness is actually one of the things that makes them so great on the field. But then for mm. us, it becomes an issue of, but does that really justify the, the maybe the um, areas of character that are lacking off the field just so you can be great on the field? You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I don't know what question I have within that statement, but um, just give me your thoughts on that. What do you think about that? I think what you're, you're getting at is like, is, is that fearlessness that they showcase off the field? Um, is, is that informed by their performance on the field basically? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And um, I, I think this is a, a very interesting question because I have a, a very um, specific feeling about the word fearless. And okay. it's, it's interesting because I, I intentionally kind of taking a cue from Tim Ferriss, the, the name of my podcast intentionally separates the two. Because um, I, I, want, I want people to listen for the first time thinking I'm going to talk about being void of fear and instead understand that we are trying to understand fear better so that we can fear fear itself less. And I think most of the time with, with human beings, when you get to the specificities of your fear, you find out that you are actually more afraid of just being afraid, that you're having a reaction to that discomfort than you are of what you think you're afraid of. Mm-hmm. Um, to address your question, I think that fearlessness is an illusion. I think that they, um, they are confident on the field, right? I think that confidence is the antithesis of fear, mm. to be honest with you. Confidence, um, confidence and being comfortable in uncomfortable positions or uncomfortable um, situations is what allows you to outperform fear. And I think that these athletes um, that have these, that make these kind of reckless decisions, I don't necessarily believe that it comes from uh, a place where they are void of fear, but maybe it's coming from a place where they are very confident just in themselves or in their capabilities. And they're taking that confidence off the field and is kind of like what you asked me a, a couple minutes ago about, you know, um, is there a, can you be confident in more than one area or are you confident here and not there? I think that maybe that's what they're doing is that they're drawing from that confidence or the, you know, the endorphin high that you get that comes off of that, that confidence and uh, letting that spill over into other areas of their life. But um, I think it's, I think the, the very concept of fearlessness itself is very dangerous because it's misleading. Mm -hmm. And like I said, it's an illusion and it leads people to make mistakes where they aren't as mindful of the process that they should be taking or learning. And it, it makes them fear that they, or it makes them feel that they can simply dive headfirst into the unknown and come out unscathed. You know, Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I even looked up the etymology of the word fearless yeah. and it comes from like the, the 16th century, which if we think is like a time of fable, you know, where jesters and, and other, uh, you know, tribal leaders were, were spinning these tales to entertain the, the chiefs and the Kings and the Queens. And they had to, no one wants to hear a story of how, you know, Tim the hunter went into the forest and got eaten by a bear, you know, cowardly. They, they want to hear tales of, of grandeur and, and, you know, uh, they want to hear that Tim the hunter went in and fearlessly slayed the beast, right. you know? So it, it, if, if the root of, uh, of the meaning of a word comes from exaggeration, 
then we need to be very mindful of how we use that describing our own abilities. Uh, that's really, that's really good. So it's almost like, you know, rather than being fearless, void of fear. And like you said, mm. diving in head first without any, any thought or concern about what could happen. It's really more, it's like a harnessing of the fear and using it to, to push exactly. you, to push you further or make you reach a higher level. But you, you still understand the, the risk or the danger of whatever you're exactly but yes that's i guess that's partially why you're able to deal with it right is because you do have that understanding rather than saying i don't see fear at all so i'm just gonna do whatever right right like one of my favorite actors and i know i i I said matt damon earlier but Uh still one of the one of the actors i've looked up to i know right sorry (laughs) matt uh one of the one of the actors i've i've looked up to since i was a kid and very much emulated a lot of his his philosophies and and just behaviors will smith and I love Will and I cannot wait to meet him one day. And I'm sure he's going to hear or read something that I've said about this. But I, I even believe that his journey and his, uh, his journey to understand fear is even in itself slightly flawed because he, like many people, believe that you can conquer fear. And uh, I, I, I always make the argument that fear is, uh, from a biochemical standpoint, it is intertwined with our DNA, both psychologically and biologically. Biologically, it is the natural form of fear that we have when a gun is pointed at us or a wild animal is running at us. Um, you know, or we're staring danger. It has to be a clear and present danger sure. where it is very apparent that you are going to get hurt if action isn't taken. Hmm. And uh, that's, that's the type of fear where we get the fight or flight response uh, from that whole concept. And um, psychological fear, however, is what we struggle with 99% of the time Hmm. because psychological fear is a direct result of our discomfort. It's a response to our discomfort as, uh, you know, whether it's emotional discomfort, physical, mental, whatever. Um, And so it's really important that we understand that the psychological fear, those are the lies that your brain is telling you to try to discourage you from moving forward with an action. And, you know, so to think that you can conquer fear or that you'll be, as we've been saying, void of fear at any point in your life, it's, it's a fool's errand because uh, it's, it's impossible. And instead of, uh, again, you know, the tagline to my show, instead of uh, being void of fear or ridding yourself of fear, you need to learn to understand your fear so you can be afraid of being afraid less, you know? Um, so, yeah. Okay. Well, so I heard this once before from one of my, one of my favorite just people to follow on Instagram and one of my favorite authors, Erwin McManus, he was talking about, um, how it's, you have confidence when you don't, when you're not afraid of failure. And so mm. if you're on, if you're on a team, uh, partially, if you're say you're playing basketball and you, you've been given the assignment to take the last shot of the game, part of what's going to give you confidence in those moments and make you feel the confidence of taking that shot is knowing that your teammates have your back, whether you miss or miss or make that shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I imagine the same thing applies to the sport of tumbling, right? Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, again, I don't know, I, I'll just be honest. I don't know anything about tumbling, but because right. there's, there's so much that goes into the coordination and the, you know, um, design of the skill that you guys are doing i imagine that you know one miss here or there could really throw off the entire team so if that's in your mindset as you're performing the skill then i could i imagine it increases the chances of something happening right a mistake being made but if you know fully that's okay my teammates have my back no matter what i imagine that frees you up to be in the moment so um yeah i don't know what do you think about that it's really interesting because i i often call cheerleading the only true team sport in that there, there are no NVPs, even though we have what the industry likes to call cheerleberties, you know, like these social media <laughs> influencers where, sure. you know, you have, you have girls and guys who are just really popular on their teams, you know, Netflix just released the show cheer. And so you ha- have that whole team. Is now, that later. Yeah. That, that, that's a yeah. team of cheerleberties now, you know, they yeah, are yeah. super famous. And, um, but, but I say that it's, I say that it is one of the truest senses of a team sport because there literally is no part of, of cheerleading where the individual is celebrated hmm. aside from social media, where kind of everybody gets celebrated at some point for being an individual. Sure. Um, when you're on that floor, there is no part of that that is just about you. Hmm. 
Mm. You know, kind of like what you're saying that you have to have each other's backs. You have to, you have to trust that everybody knows their individual part, their individual counts, their individual part of the choreography, know where their hand placement is on their stunting, know where their footing is on their tumbling. You have to just trust that everybody, all the 20 something other individuals on the floor with you, sometimes 40, that they're going to know exactly what they're doing so that you can do your best job. And if you're doing your best job and they're doing their best job, then together, collectively, you are becoming uh, the greatest iteration of your team. Um, I think that it's, it's, I I think that's a a great sentiment and a, and a great quote. I think that it, we should be careful saying that uh, you have no fear of failure because I personally believe that understanding and having a healthy respect for failure and understanding that failure is what produces success mm-hmm. is very important as well. That sure. no one likes failing, of course, especially as a team where no matter who's responsible, every person on that team is always going to feel personally responsible for losing. Sure. Um, but I think that it's important to understand that there, you know, failure is always something that you can bounce back from and, and learn from in some form or fashion. Right. And that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Cause if you, I mean, if you don't have those things, then I always think that you, I think there's a quote out there where you can learn, like you look at your past and you learn from those failures. Um, don't look too far ahead at the future, but you got to try to remain present as much as possible. Uh, yeah. but you, can, you can use those things. You can use your past. You can strive for something. Um, and they all play a part, but if you're not really present in the moment, then you're probably, right. you're probably going to miss something. Um, right. and, I, and like you said, I think failure is a part of that. Like, I think if you're not looking back at past failures, um, to learn from it, then you're, those failures kind of become, I mean, there's, there's that, right. They're a negative thing. They're a failure and you kind of right. to live with it. And if you place too right. much stock in it and you look back at failures all the time as a constant reminder of how you fail, but you're not learning from it, then, right. you know, again, it's just a negative thing. So there's kind of like that sweet spot as you're talking about where right. you have to have a healthy respect and understanding of fear failure and if you can understand those things i think it really takes you to another level um which i imagine is why you guys why you had uh, bracy on the podcast because he, he had just released yes. his book um scared great so like that makes, exactly. that makes a lot of sense now uh why i mean he's, he's why we connect anyways but why there's a specific connection here for sure yeah for sure because i was very interested and i told him on the podcast i said um you know i've 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 been deep into my research and my understanding of fear and fear processes and fear psychology for like the last three or four years where I really found like, okay, this is what I want to focus on. And these are the things that I want to help people understand. Not saying that I'm right or wrong, but it's like, you know, Gary V says, if I'm right, great. If I'm wrong, who the F cares, you know? (laughs) So um, that's, that's the way I look at it now. But yeah, with Kevin, I said, dude, there has, I have yet to encounter anyone who has gotten some of the specific details of my philosophy. I feel like I, I'm like, I feel like we were talking about it before and then you just put it in written form. Like I've, I've never had anybody be able to verbalize it. And his book is, is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. The way that he breaks down um, using, that was the commonality there where we both talk about using your fear as a benchmark for improvement because again psychological fear is a direct result of discomfort when you experience that discomfort that means you know the fact ergo what is it ergo i forget the, the term but you know uh, it, remember, yeah but it basically means you know uh if you are uncomfortable you are leaving your discomfort zone, or you're leaving your comfort zone and so outside of your comfort zone despite the way that your brain would have you believe it is where all of the best things exist. That's where growth happens. That's where success happens. That's what allows you to experience new experiences. And so we talk about using your fear as a benchmark for when you've plateaued, when you are reached a place of complacency. And so now it's time to get outside of that comfort zone, expand your comfort zone and um, yeah, use your fear to help steer you, as he says, steer you towards your greatness. Yeah. I feel like anytime I hear this topic of fear and using fear to steer you towards greatness or to help you get to that next level, I always, I'm a big Batman fan. And so I yes. always think, I'm sure you've seen this before. You probably even used it. There's that scene in the dark Knight rises where he's got Bruce Wayne's got to make that jump from ledge to ledge. And 
He, you know, yes. ties the, rope, the bungee cord to himself and tries it, tries it, keeps falling. And pretty soon another prisoner in that pit's like, hey, you'll never make this jump unless, because you're not fearful. He's like, well, right. that's not the problem. He's like, no, that is the problem. because like, you don't fear death at all. He's like, right. you do the jump without the rope. And then you do that. And there's this extra motivation where it's like, okay, now there's nothing to catch me. If I wow. fall now, there's no rope to hold me, you know, hold me up. It's like, I'm falling to my death. It gives you right. that little extra thing. And so I always, anytime I hear people talk about fear or anything like that, I always think of that scene. Like I said, partially I'm a big fan of, of Batman, but it's just a, That's I think a, it's a perfect scene. That is no, that is the perfect scene. That is a beautiful illustration. Cause I, it made me immediately think of some of Eric Thomas's stuff that I've heard yeah. where he talks about remove the safety net. A lot of people aren't afraid of failure because they have no safety or because they have that safety net. Right. And so he said, if you want to be afraid of failing and, and, uh, have a healthy respect of, of what it takes to actually succeed, remove that safety net. Stop asking your parents to pay for your college, you know, stop, stop yeah. accepting, uh, you know, just stop accepting handouts and, and things like that and, and remove that safety net where it's either do or don't. And, uh, you know, I think that really does act as a motivator. So I, I agree when you have a healthy respect and understanding, uh, for your fear and, and again, psychological fear more often than not is based off of lies, but there's always a why behind it. It's it, there's always a what and a why. And so like with my athletes that I'm helping to, and I've helped other athletes, I've helped uh, soccer players and basketball players mm-hmm. um, who feel that they have mental blocks or performance anxiety. So we will talk about what is the why of your fear, you know? Mm, and, good. and it's really interesting because you, at least me, I'll, I'll start with that very basic question and they'll say, well, you know, it's a very safe answer. Always the first, well, because I'm afraid. Why? Because I feel like something's going to go wrong. Why? Because I don't want to fail. Why? Because I don't want to let my dad down. There you go. Right. And that's where you can really get to the source. Okay. So tell me about your relationship with your dad. Um, it's not, you know, it's not always that specific issue, but it's, it's just amazing where you get with people, um, when you let them know that it's a, it's a safe place for them to be vulnerable. And, um, and that makes me think of what you and I were talking about, I think before we started recording or maybe right after, but about just the holistic approach to coaching, you know, where you're not just connecting with the, the physical aspects of what you're coaching, but you connect with the athlete on a mental and emotional level as well. And, um, you know, and I think that's super important because one of the things that I know a lot of coaches end up saying to their athletes is, you know, leave your crap at the door. When you walk through that door and you come on my court, right, you right. leave that, you know, whatever right. happened out there. Sure. And I'm like, again, I don't know where these voices are coming from, yeah. uh, but <laughs> I like them. Keep it going. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. But, um, you know, I think that that I, I realized, cause I used to say the same thing. I used to be a vehement believer in that, that concept. And then I checked myself one day when I realized how insensitive that was because mm. everything we do as human beings involves emotion everything. And for us to say, you know, leave your emotion at the door. It's one thing to say, leave, leave your experiences outside. But just even with that, it's like, you're bringing that with you. And so I think for me, my life philosophy is do my best to understand what I'm going through and why I'm going through it and why I'm having this reaction to what and why uh, to the what and why of what I'm going through. So I think that's really important as coaches that we, we embrace that holistic approach and we really try to understand, uh, not just understand the athlete holistically, but let them know that they can be a holistic athlete in front of us and, and around us and around their teammates. No, I love that. That's actually a good segue into my next question for you, because, you know, I feel like anytime we ask one of our guests or anytime I have a conversation with someone about a coach or a teacher that's, that's been in their life and the kind of impact they had on them, um, you always find out these coaches that have positive impacts on their athletes. The athlete doesn't reminisce back at a specific point saying, oh, I remember when uh, the coach called this play at this moment and that's right. what won us the game. It's always, man, I remember when I was having a really difficult time and that coach was the first one to text or call me. Or I remember when I had this really bad injury and one of the first people besides my parents to be there for me was my coach. Always something like that. So yeah. that being said, 
who would you say is a, either a coach or a teacher that made a tremendous impact on your life? And, and you could maybe point to as far as saying, yeah, this person, the reason I'm at where I'm at is because of the influence this person had on my life. That's, that's an awesome question. Um, two specific gentlemen that come to mind, um, shout out to Mr. Lucky and Mr. Kenyon from Vanden high school in Fairfield. Um, both of those guys were actual coaches themselves. It just so happens. I believe Mr. Kenyon was the girls volleyball coach and Mr. Lucky, uh, he became our athletic director. And I believe before that he was a football coach. Um, with Mr. Lucky, um, he taught me, wow, I'm getting emotional. Um, with Mr. Lucky, he taught me depth. He really taught me to think critically and deeply about everything that I said and everything that I put in writing. He was my, uh, he was my rhetoric coach actually, or a rhetoric teacher, okay. uh, which was, was an interesting class for a high school to have, but we had rhetoric, yeah. uh, our junior years. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a lot of speaking and a lot of, uh, oration training. And, um, he allowed me to, I'm a very, uh, I think I've been a very curious person my entire life. So he allowed me to explore that curiosity, even in the form of the assignments that he would give us. Mm. Um, so the, the, the thing that I remember the most with my, uh, my experience with him is there was an assignment to um, write an essay explaining how you know you exist or why you exist, which okay. is very esoteric. It's, but it's deep, yeah. Yeah, it's very deep. And I remember uh, I based my essay on a Billy Graham quote uh, from a song that uh, where he mentions, he said, you know, uh, how do you know that God exists? Can you see God? You know, he said, I haven't seen the wind. I know the effects of the wind, but I've never seen the winds, but I know the wind exists. Mm -hmm. And that was just his way of, of kind of explaining that phenomenon. And, and I remember thinking how deep that was where I was like, wow, there are things that can't be explained in our physical world but clearly they have effects on things. And that was my approach to my essay is like, I know I exist because of the people and the things that I physically and emotionally impact. And now that I'm saying it out loud, it's crazy because I think that concept is what I've carried into my coaching is being very mindful of the impact that I have on people and knowing that I, uh, I do indeed um, my existence is based on the, the impacts that I make with people. So Mr. Lucky, uh, he also allowed me to do some, some out of the box things with, uh, yeah. you know, our assignments. Like we had to, I think we had to give a speech, um, based on some literary piece that we chose. We, it could be anything that we wanted. And I, for some reason chose Edgar Allan Poe's uh, telltale heart oh. and then decided to take it up a notch and perform it in a British accent in front of the class and uh, really get into the, you know, really get into the piece. And a part of the assignment is that you couldn't read. You had to memorize and then, you know, put some emotion behind it. Got it. And, uh, and he, he loved it so much, Mr. Lucky. I, I love you for this. Uh, please excuse this impression, this impersonation. But, you know, he was always, Dad, burn it, Lane. That was beautiful. And that was, that was just the kind of guy he was. Everybody remembers him yeah. for, for saying, Dad, burn it and horse pucky. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I think that, you know, my brother and I and uh, his best friend, we were uh, just talking the other night about Mr. Lucky and how we each had him at different uh, times of our lives. And he impacted us all in different ways for my my brother and his friend. They weren't athletes. So, you know, they had another their own special connection with him. Right. And uh, yeah. And then with Mr. Kenyon, it was just it was he taught me. um the importance of investing something into people and yeah. paying attention to people. You know, he, he cared so much about every student that walked through his door. He remembered details of conversations you would have. He would give you specific assignments based on your strengths or things that he saw potential in you. Um, and, you know, as a teenager, you're like, come on, man, I don't want to have to do this extra work or, you know, right. why, why me? Sure. Why can't everybody do this? You know? Yeah. Um, but, but when he saw something in you, you felt that extra investment. 
So yeah, those are two, two coaches and, and teachers uh, that really impacted my life and in ways that I'm not even realizing until just now talking about it. That's awesome. I love it. Um, uh, switch gears a little bit. When did you decide to uh, start your own podcast and why? I decided in 2016 because I was such a fan of such podcasts as uh, the School of Greatness by Lewis Howes, yep. uh, the Timothy Ferris show or Tim Ferris show. I forget. He switches between Tim and yeah, Timothy yeah. a lot. Um, <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> yeah. That's but I was, I was such a fan of, of what they were doing. And, and again, being a curious person, I, I have plenty of topics that I just really wanted to explore. And um, if you can't tell, I love talking as well. So that's why we have I, you on I, here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I just like having those conversations like we're doing right now. I love having these kind of conversations. So, um, but I also, I I don't like faking the funk. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't want to just start a show with no purpose. And um, I I have seen in my research, in my, uh, my, the empirical data that I've collected with working in person with all of these athletes, that there is a common theme and misunderstanding around fear Mm-hmm. and um and and i think i said earlier that one of my missions was to understand mental blocks better right and i was noticing more and more i was getting more dms and more emails from parents and and coaches saying and athletes you know i have a mental block for doing this or i have a mental block here like can you help me and as a as a creative person and and understanding what a true mental block was when you had a creative block mm-hmm. um I really set out to understand why people who were doing physical skills were feeling like they had mental blocks. And, um, it was, it was a really interesting journey. So, um, that's what really led me to start the podcast was it gave me a venue to, it, it one gave me a venue to discuss the things I was interested in, but two, it gave me a resource to, instead of answering every single DM or email saying, Hey, I actually just recorded an episode of my podcast on this go check it out, give it a listen. And it was a way of me sharing that same information over and over again without exasperating myself and burning myself out. That's cool. And I'm sure you've gotten a lot of feedback on the podcast too, from those same, you know, athletes or maybe even parents that have had those questions for you and listen, it's like, ah, I get it It, now. It's, it's it's cool. It's like, all you need to do is you put it out there and, uh, you know, I don't know how long your episodes typically are, but like 30 to 45 minutes, you know, and, now they have that right. tool they can put in their toolbox and it will help them get over that thing when they compete next, which is pretty cool. Exactly. Yeah, that, that was the goal. And uh, time-wise, I, I try to do uh, fearless fives. So we'll do like, uh, I'll do five-minute solo rounds or sometimes they go to like seven, ten minutes. And then uh, my interviews like this, they're long form. They're not edited that much at all to, yeah. to the point where, you know, maybe I'm taking out a cough or you know, mispronounced a word or something, but, um, you know, I really want people to just be able to have this space to, to talk about what I've brought them on to talk about. And, um, so yeah, it has, I have had, I have received some great feedback for the episodes that are very cheer specific or very tumbling specific, uh, yeah. for athletes. Yeah. Well, on that same note too, just as far as tumbling, I guess there's a lot of other sports that would apply, this would apply to, but, I'm not even sure it's bear with me when I try to ask this question because I know yeah, it's in my, for my it. mind, but I don't know if it's going to come out the right way. Certain you have fear. I'm sure you have fear in every sport, right? Like there's fear in mm-hmm. athletes in every sport. Um, but there are sports such as tumbling. I imagine there's a certain element of danger, uh, gymnastics. There's a, a certain level of danger, MMA, boxing, football, right. there's, there's there's like physical harm and it's not just a matter, especially if you look at like combat sports, right? You are going in there to hurt the other person. And right. so, and they're trying to hurt you and there's right. the, the potential of a life ending life altering injury. How does that play a factor in competing? I, I mean, is it, is fear kind of, is it just all relative to the sport or is fear across, there's a fear across the board. And then when you get to specific sports, is it maybe more fear or less fear that you have to deal with? If that makes sense. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I think it is kind of across the board, of course, based on the specific action that you're performing or the skill that you're trying to achieve, there may be a certain, uh, you know, variance in degree um, in, in fear or the, your response, your fearful response to what you're doing. Um, but I think that this is where 
being able to make those distinctions between biological and psychological fear really come into play because the biological aspect with biological fear, you cannot conquer that at all. I would argue the same about psychological, but um, with biological fear, you have to learn to respect it, you know, understand it. Like we were talking about with the dark Knight rises um, illustration, respect the fact that you could get seriously hurt respect Mm -hmm. the fact that you could die if you choose to do things improperly or incorrectly, or if something just happens to go wrong. Um, I think having that healthy respect for the danger that is involved, um, the very real danger um, is going to influence the choices that you make as an athlete. You know, maybe you're going to choose not to do that fancy spin to avoid a tackle you know, you're sure. going to instead, you know, use proper technique to, um, to, you know, use your footing properly and, and out, you know, outmaneuver the next guy. Um, but with the psychological fears that you experience, I think it's important to understand that you can outperform those by rationalizing and understanding what it is and why it is that you are afraid of what you're afraid of. Hmm. And then, um, when you were asking the question, uh, Will Smith's quote from the movie after earth, came to mind where he's talking to his son and he says, you know, now understand me when I say this, that danger is very real, but fear is a choice. And I think that that's good. That's something I've, I've always loved and I've tried to understand exactly how that applies to like my teaching. And I, I think that there is a certain level of choice that we have. If we choose to listen to the lies of fear or we choose to follow the truths of technique and process. Hmm. And um, I think that it's, it's a very good distinction to understand the differences between biological and psychological fear that transcend any sport, any area of life, anything, you know, again, if you, if you boil it down to the fact that psychological fear is a response to discomfort, then you can say, okay, what am I uncomfortable doing in this moment? What is this that is causing? Cause, cause psychological fear has a very unique quality to it fear is the only emotion that is able to bypass the processing center of the brain so that means that you can go from reaction or sorry from um from impulse or from um you know stimulus Mm -hmm. to action immediately without really thinking about what you're doing it also has the ability to call physical responses into play in an effort to further discourage you from doing something you've you you will see there's videos on youtube that i've used before of people on a high dive mm-hmm. um physically shaking violently or or those uh those uh bridges that they have in china along the mountainside where it's just right. all glass right and you have people their bodies cannot physically move because they are stricken with that fear but it's psychological fear and the the brain has that power to say, okay, if I can't convince you with just these thoughts that I'm putting into your, you know, into the, into your out there, um, maybe I can get the body to come on board and further discourage you. So I'm going to make it so that your legs are trembling. I'm going to make it so that your breathing gets shallow and you start sweating your palms, you know, your hands and your joints, they start aching. All of these things are physical responses to your discomfort, but they are not, they are not, physical in nature if that makes sense right they, so, they're yeah, so. they're mental they're psychological in nature um and that's why they say psychological fear is paralyzing biological fear always moves you to action so yeah that's interesting i have i yeah i have a lot of thoughts about what you just said yeah because <laughs> well, i'm just thinking um so like, i'm 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 not a i'll say this i'm not a big fan of heights right yes but even when i'm in a high place I've never been in a spot where my, like physically I'm trembling as you're, as you're mentioning, I've never, yeah. you know, it's just, it doesn't, I guess, manifest itself in that way for me, but right. I'm, I'm definitely feeling fearful of heights where I have, sure. I've seen those same things that you're talking about where you see someone, I mean, physically shaking um, yeah. to the point. And it's not like I've conquered my fear of heights and right. more so than they have. It's just, I think we're both afraid and it just physically comes out different. So I mean, is there any difference or is it just their body is more, susceptible to that type of reaction i i think it's the the brain i think it's the 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 level of discomfort that they're experiencing and the way that they are um allowing that fear to influence um 
their their thinking because it's like it's like the brain is a self preservationist, and so when it starts spitting out those thoughts of danger or of of impending doom, um, it creates a snowball effect where one thought influences the other, and it, that's where anxiety comes from, right? So it just sure. starts spiraling out of control, um, and I think that there for you, I would guess that there is at least some level of rationale where you like, okay, I am afraid of heights, but physically I am not in a position where I'm, and it's not, anything's going to happen to me right now. You know, um, I know my, my wife is very similar where, um, she doesn't like, uh, if we're on a bridge, like when we were across, trying to cross the Brooklyn bridge in New York city, okay. that's a very old bridge that you can still see between the, the wooden slats. Sure. And yeah. she, about 35 feet, um, into the walking across the bridge, we had to stop and go back because there was just something about that thought of yeah. being able to see through. And I remember I, I made the mistake of trying to be coach lane with her at that moment. And she was like, I don't need this right now. And so instead awesome. I, I said, okay, I'm going to silently think about this and see if I could understand it better. And it's, yeah. it, I really do think it just has to, it boils down to your, your individual experiences and reactions. And that's why it's really important. I can make generalizations based off of the hundreds, if not thousands of cases that I've come across sure. with, with athletes, but it still doesn't mean that I'm not going to try to understand the individual uh, right. better, you right. know, when, when talking about what it is that bothers them. Got it. Man, I have a, a million other questions I could ask you that I don't have written down, but I want to be respectful of your time. So oh, I appreciate uh, it, man. I want to just finish up with this last question that we'd like to ask everybody. Um, okay. Obviously, this is the Character Combine podcast, so we place a very high value on character, uh, especially within the athletic and coaching community, um, yes. but just people in general. So for you, how would you define character and why is it so important that people make it a priority? Mm. I have to admit, character is a, it's probably something I haven't thought about too much, I guess, just because it's something that you expect to see in people. But I, I think that character is a very high priority because you can say all you want, but at the end of the day, it's the quality of your character that will shine through. And mm, when you good. leave the comfort of your high school, when you leave the comfort of your parents' home, character is the only thing at the end of the day that is going to matter when it comes to business when it comes to relationships, um, when it comes to um, being able to, to rest peacefully at the end of the day, knowing that you've done you know, a good job, it's, it's the quality of your character. Um, so yeah, I think that character is incredibly important because it is a driving force for, for you as an adult, which is, let's be honest, where you're going to spend the majority of your life is, is spent as an adult. Um, and then what was the first part of the question is, is what, how, how would you define what, character? How would I define character? Yeah. I would define character as, and, and this, these are things that I ideally strive for, though I do not successfully achieve them all the time, but um, being able to do what you say and mean what you say, but more so follow up with actions to your words and um, as you can probably tell from this, this interview um, or this conversation, um, understanding is really huge to yeah. your character because I, I believe if you don't understand yourself and have a greater understanding of your strengths, weaknesses, flaws, um, your, your, one of my favorite things to, to always tell people to figure out, your love language, your personality type, the greater your understanding of self the greater the quality of your relationships will be in your life. You won't, you'll realize you don't have time for, you know, nonsense. You don't have time for people that are just going to uh, use you or uh, waste, you know, your, your talent. They're going to waste your time. They're going to waste your life minutes. Right. So uh, yeah, I believe character to be defined as uh, one who has a great understanding of self and um, someone who uh, follows through on what they say they're going to do. I love it. That was a man. Great, great talk all the way around. You finished strong. You started Thank strong. You. All of it. Thank so, you. Thank you. I appreciate a, a it. Tr a true pro. So where can, <laughs> where can everybody follow you on social media and all those things? 
Uh, I like to say I am coach lane everywhere, literally. But uh, where do I interact the most? It would have to be Instagram. So it's just okay. at coach L-A-I-N, coach lane uh, on Instagram. Uh, but I'm also coach lane everywhere else on social media. So if you type that in, you'll most likely find me. Cool. And you guys also have a, a fearless you uh, Instagram handle as well, right? Correct. Yeah. It's, I believe it's the fearless you all together. No hyphens, no underscores. Perfect. And uh, yeah, we don't update that as much as we should, but definitely follow us there just so you know the exact moment a new episode drops. Awesome. Uh, and you guys can follow us as always at, uh, on Twitter at sports character, Facebook character combine, Instagram character combine, uh, go to YouTube and check out some of our clips from past events of motivational speakers that we've had on. And that's pretty much it. Coach, thank you so much, man. This has been fun. Like I said, uh, I want to have you back on for sure. Cause I have a million other questions and I'm going to say this, uh, Deb is going to be bummed that she missed this one for <laughs> sure. So he's doing a lot of awesome things right now, but she's still going to be bummed about this one. <laughs> Well, I, I appreciate you guys for the, uh, for the venue and the opportunity, Josh, you did a great job with the interview. So I appreciate, appreciate that, just man. the, I just appreciate the, uh, the venue to have these, these meaningful conversations and, uh, you know, just be able to, to share what we love to do and, uh, you know, share why we love it. So thank you. I agree, man. So, uh, Hey, stay safe and stay healthy. We'll talk to you later. All right. All right. You as well. All right. Peace.